Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. And I'm Ashley. And this is... <laughs> he doesn't even know so how let me, to start. So let me, let me tell you a story. <laughs> in 2023, there was a woman named Emerald Fennel. And she watched all the films coming out in 2023. And in December, she said, hold my beer. <laughs> Have I got some fucked up shit for you. Let me tell you a story now. There was a person, girl named Ashley, who told her husband, you have to watch this movie with me. You have to. So they sit down, watch the movie, and Ashley slowly gauging her husband's reaction when all of a sudden he goes, no, 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 God, no, no. And yeah, that happened. It's, it's probably going to be one of my favorite film memories ever. <laughs> that was probably the strongest reaction I've had to something I've seen in a film ever. <laughs> The worst part is how it's telegraphed. It's like that little look over the shoulder. And I was like, no, no, you're not going to do it. Oh, yeah, he did it. He did it. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dead and Married. I already said that. Did you? I did. Sorry, we got off track. Um, today, wrapping up February, we're obviously talking about the 2023 Amazon Prime original film by Emerald Fennel, Saltburn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to talk about it. So, if you haven't seen it, spoilers. Heavy, heavy spoilers. Actually, you know what? If you haven't seen it, turn it off right now. Go watch it and then come back because you just won't understand unless um, you've already seen it. Unless unless you're a person that says, I don't know that I want to watch this movie, so I'm going to listen to you guys first and then determine whether or not I'm going to watch this oh, movie. Oh, no, you want to watch it. You want to watch I it. I was just going to say I, that I that's had to okay, watch too. It. I had to watch it twice, so... You, you need to watch it. He says has had to. I think that he likes this movie. He's just not openly going to admit to it because he's afraid of how people will judge him if he says, I did actually enjoy this movie. Okay, there are things about the... F you know what? We're going to talk about this. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so first impression... So, um, I will openly admit that when this first came out, um, back in January, I really didn't have, I mean, I was my, I was a little, I was like cautiously curious. I, I guess that's the, the term I'm going to go with, but I wasn't sure that I was going to actually watch it until I had brought it up to Bill and Zena when they came down and they were like, no, you have to watch it. Please, please, please watch this movie. And I think they were trying to tell us about it without spoiling any of it as best they could nonetheless once they had kind of given us their quick review of it i was like all right fine i'm gonna i'm gonna give in i'm gonna watch this and my knowledge of barry keoghan as an actor was very very limited i'd only seen small things here or there um and i of course as as anybody who watches tv and isn't under a rock i knew jacob lordy from euphoria because um before london had passed that was like her favorite show ever um so i was very familiar with him um and so i was like all right i'll give it a try and then i i, I started hearing people say you know that this was just a ripoff of like brideshead revisited or the talented mr ripley but i know i know i'm claiming i'm a film lover but i have not seen either of those films nor have i read brideshead revisited so i was kind of coming into this fresh and i actually am really happy that I decided to go into this completely cold with no reference behind it because as a standard kind of ru 
rule. I'm not really into obsession movies much. I mean, I know that that kind of goes, thrillers kind of go hand in hand with horror, but that whole like single white female thing, I've just not, it's never really been my thing. So going into this with none of that knowledge or reference behind it, I, it ended up being a pleasant surprise for me. So my first impression of it was, where has this movie been all of my life? You? Um, <clears throat> well, <laughs> so I didn't have any desire to watch this film. Um, it, I don't know, I think I missed that conversation that y'all must have had about this movie. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really heard anything about it, but I kept seeing stuff online about it. And I was like, well, eh, I guess it's kind of a fucked up film. Okay. So, but I didn't know any details about it at all. Uh -huh. Um, watching it. So it's a tricky movie because for the, in the first I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of it, I'm like, all right. So it's just like a, a coming of age sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And until it's not, it's not that, it's not that at all. <laughs> um, yeah, they really kind of pull the rug out from under you on this one because it, it looks, it really looks like it's going a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the only person to say that. We watched a couple of reviews today. Um, and they mentioned the same thing. Like you watch it and it's like, okay, so nerdy kid goes to college, makes some rich friends. There's going to be a little bit of drama. I've seen this film before. <laughs> no, you haven't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've never seen this before because <laughs> it goes to fucked up places. Um, yeah, I think my first, first impression of this film was no. And then, <laughs> and then when it was over, it was still no. <laughs> the last, the, <laughs> the last five minutes of this film are definitely no, but I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, there are things I like about it, but yeah. Can you... We do that at the end. No, <laughs> I was going to say, can you elaborate on why you didn't like it? I think... I because think it's because I think, there, I think there are no likable characters. I was really going to say because I think we're probably going to have a few listeners that are going to go, "Oh, well, we can kind of guess why he doesn't." No, like well, it. I'm sure they can. They can draw whatever conclusion they want, but I think it's because there's no one you can really get behind in this film. For me, everyone in this film pretty terrible. They're mm -hmm. they're all bad people uh, in one way or another. Uh, the only exception I think would be uh, Felix Jacob Elordi's character. Mm -hmm. Other than being unbelievably phenomenally spoiled. He seems like he's a decent guy, mm -hmm. but the rest of his family, they suck. And Barry is a fucking sociopath. <laughs> I, and, and, and they really... You mean, you mean Oliver? <laughs> what did I say? Barry. Well, that's his name. Well, so. I know. I'm just... <laughs> You hear that, Barry? Um, yeah, Oliver um, is a complete sociopath. And and the worst part about Barry is that they kind of, or God damn it, <laughs> Oliver. about Oliver is that they don't introduce him that way. Mm -hmm. They introduce him as like the nerdy kid that's probably going to get picked on and, you know, he's awkward and shy and all this stuff. And you start to go, oh, and then no, no, I don't feel bad for him. Mm -hmm. He's he's the worst person in this film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, See, I think that's it. I think that's the reason I don't like it. There's no, there's nobody that I feel like you can root for. But do you really not like it though? I, maybe I don't not like it like you would normally not like a film. I just, I don't know. I have weird feelings about this <laughs> film. But I think that that's a big piece of it there. Is it normally in a movie you get at least one character that you can kind of root for, mm -hmm. I guess? Mm -hmm. And this doesn't have one okay. to me. Okay. So, because you don't really want to see any of them succeed. <laughs> That's that's my that's my thought. Okay. So. All right. Why don't you go ahead and give us cast and crew? Okay. 
So, I already said it was uh, written and directed by Emerald Fennel. Um, and I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. It's the only thing of hers I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, her filmography is remarkably short. Mm-hmm. So, to look at the work that she's credited for on IMDb anyway. Um, yeah, a little bit of TV and some short films. Like six. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then she did this. Uh, no, 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 no. She did... Um, what was that one? What was what one? The other one that she did. Promising Young Woman? Yes, that. Okay. I've not seen it yet, but, but now I feel like I need to see it. Yes. Uh, it's just odd for her to go from, I don't want to say unknown, because maybe over in the UK she was known, um, but she did one big movie. She's an Academy Award winner now, and she kicks out something like this. Like, that's that's pretty crazy. So if she comes to you and she's like, hey, I want to make a money, uh, make a movie. Make a money? I, she wants to make a money. I assure you, money money's not a problem <clears throat> for her. If she shows up and she's like, I want to make a movie, just give her the money, because she <laughs> can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, it, I'm pretty amazed by what she did here. I don't necessarily agree with all or like all of it, but, um, yeah, maybe, yeah. Okay. She's pretty great. Okay. So get on with it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful about what I say. <laughs> So anyway, uh, the film stars Barry Keoghan as Oliver Quick, Jacob Elordi as Felix Catton, Rosamund Pike plays Elspeth Catton, she's the mom, Richard E. Grant is Sir James Catton. And it was purely by accident that we somehow ended up with two Richard E. Grant films this month. But What, what was the other one? Happy accident. Uh, Dracula? Oh yeah. Remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, help me with this one, Archie. Oh my God. I told you. I said, get this right. Yeah, I wasn't really listening. So <laughs> you said it. Just do it. Just no, I'm not going to do it. No, because you want me to be the ass. So you do it. Cool. So Archie plays Farley Stark. <laughs> oh my God. Just try. Mede- Medekwe? Med- yeah. Medekwe, maybe? Medekwe? Oh, I-, I don't know. Not. We're butchering his name. Sorry. Apologies. Okay. Archie plays Farley Stark. <laughs> <clears throat> and yeah, the cast is pretty small. There's a lot of background characters in there. Um, I'll throw Ewan, 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 Ewan. It's like you, yeah, Ewan. Ewan. Mitchell God. plays Michael Gavi. He's uh one of the. He's a friend. Give me a fucking song then. <laughs> yeah, he's a friend for a whole minute when he's <laughs> at Oxford. Um, and then wow, you got to scroll way down here to get to this one. Um, Allison Oliver plays Venetia Catton, and that's really your main cast. And you um, have, and you do have Carrie Mulligan in there for. A whole five minutes yeah. to playing the character of Pamela, which I do not know her last name. So correct. Um, I want to really give a it. shout out to the butler though, because that was Joshua McGuire. Yeah, plays Henry. Yeah, I thought his name was Duncan. Am I looking at the wrong person? You probably are. Uh, I don't know. Yes, Paul Reese <laughs> plays Duncan. Okay, they kind of look the same though. You can't say that all white people look alike. I I can actually. <laughs> Yeah, I can. So uh, that's pretty much it for the cast. Again, it's not a small cast. You just have a small central group that you spend 99% of your time with. Right. There's a ton of background characters, uh, particularly at uh, friends and such that they encounter while they're at Oxford. But once you make it to Saltburn, once you make it to the mansion, that's really it. It's just the family and Oliver and uh, Duncan, mm-hmm. the head butler or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's do, the cast. Do you need a, do you need a break? Do you need a break? I, you seem very nervous. I feel like I feel like I need a something. A tranquilizer, maybe. Uh, so we'll move on to the story then. Okay. I'm enjoying this way too much, so I'm gonna have you keep going and I'm gonna ask you what your thoughts on the story are. So okay. 
So in reading a lot of the reviews, there's some that think it's wonderful, and there are a lot of reviews that are just nasty. Um, some of the re- some of the negative reviews, I they reference a lot of other material and say that this is just a ripoff of this, this, or this. Uh, one of those being the talented Mr. Ripley, but I have never read any of the books or seen the movies that they're talking about, so I cannot speak to that. Um, maybe there are some similarities, but maybe not. I would challenge that with most films nowadays... Um, if you really want to dig deep enough, you could probably find another movie that had something cor- kind of like that that's been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't really subscribe to that. You it's, told it's... me something along the lines yet that you told me a long time ago uh, that there were no original ideas anymore, just people who hadn't thought of them yet. Something to that effect. Yeah, or they get remembered, sort of. Because if you, th- I mean, really, if you think about it, most most film, most everything that you get now is just a variation of something that's happened yes, before. Yes, I agree. So really it's not I don't necessarily look for it to be completely unique I just look for did you do it well yes was I agree. it was it well executed uh, it's kind of like a movie like a remake or a reimagining okay I don't really care that somebody else already did it how well did you do it right so if the execution is there I'm fine uh, but apparently that offends a lot of people because mm-hmm. they were really really negative about it so I can't speak to the story or its originality or anything like that I feel like I guess from the the lines the script I feel like the script was good there weren't any lines in it that just made me cringe uh, are you sure about that? Well, no, I'm not talking about, I guess I'm talking more of, maybe that's more in acting, um, their delivery or people saying something that just seemed really out of place for, or out of context for what they were doing. Does that make sense? Um, so the, I think the script was fine. I don't, it's a tough story. Like I said before, it's when you, when they, when you open the film, you're like, okay, I'm at Hogwarts. This is awesome. Right. That's what it looks like. Oxford looks like fucking Hogwarts. And when they're having their meal, guess what? Looks like Hogwarts. I'm just saying. Uh, but yeah, with a lot of cocaine and alcohol, that's a movie I'd watch. I guess technically I already did, but Oliver's not a wizard. So. Oh my God. You're killing me. Do you want to do it yourself then? Okay. <laughs> Climb up off my back about it. <laughs> I feel like it flows pretty well. Um, I saw some stuff where they were saying they wanted to deal more or go more into Oliver's personality, his character, his backstory or whatever, and, and kind of explore Oliver a little more. But it's already a two hour movie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're kind of getting up there in terms of runtime and you don't want to turn this into fucking Dune where you got to take a vacation to watch it. Um, so I'm, I'm OK with it. I'm OK with it. I feel like he reveals enough of his personality throughout the film that I don't necessarily need flashbacks or whatever to tell me who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and at this point, who he is, <clears throat> who he was before he got there doesn't matter who he becomes throughout the film is what matters so i really don't need a huge history on him as far as the cat and go cattens go i don't really feel like you need a ton of character development with them they're a rich family that's always been rich they're whatever he's a sir right so he's a, a knight uh, the dad is so i don't really feel like you need a lot there i mean most of them are such i don't know vapid characters i mean because they just we're just going to hang out at our mansion and be rich all day that's mm-hmm. it so there's not a lot there in my mind to explore how they got there it, it, it's sort of self-explanatory they've just always always been wealthy so i don't feel like there's a lot that needs to be said um i feel like a lot of the twists and turns throughout the film were well executed because a lot of it was unexpected well like like the one scene that made me (laughs) scream at the tv i didn't see it coming until it was there and then it was like oh shit you know um there was just enough of that shock value in there to kind of keep me wanting to watch it mostly just to see what he was going to do next see what Mm -hmm. was going to happen next and i kind of like i like film like that they have to give me a hook of some kind to keep me watching it and i feel like this film did it so overall yeah i feel like it's a good story so okay what about you um kind of what you said before would you um... hurry up <laughs> 
<laughs> it's my turn to ramble on now. Um, so, it, yeah, is this in reinventing the wheel by any means? No. There's always going to be an obsession movie out there. Um, for whatever one obsession movie you have, there's three more. So I don't think that it's necessarily entirely fair to say that this one is ripping off others because you there are, you could throw a stone and knock over five other films that have ripped those off too. So or slashers, slashers do yeah, the same thing. Yeah. So I feel like that's unjustified. Um, that being said, whether or not it's an original premise, like Travis said, the way you execute it is what's important. And in terms of the way it was executed, no, that was not something I had seen before. And Travis and I were, were talking about this earlier because, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to bring the room down for any reason, but I kind of had a period of time after, I mean, because everyone knows my love of film. I, it's, it's a deep, deep love of mine. But after London had passed, I just stopped enjoying film for a while. Like we had watched different movies. Like I remember kind of in that, that time period, um, Cocaine Bear had come out, the new Evil Dead had come out and we had watched both of those and a new Evil Dead movie. I should have been super excited for that. A premise as fucking silly as Cocaine Bear. I should have been sitting there laughing my entire ass off at it. Neither one of us cared. And we just didn't care. We didn't give a shit. And I remember asking myself, am I ever going to enjoy this thing that I love so much again? And for the life of me, I cannot tell you what film it was, but it finally clicked. There was some movie I put on and I was like, here I am. I'm, I'm here again. I'm I'm back in, back in my element. I'm back in my mode. And I wish I could credit whatever film that was, but I just can't. Um, but nonetheless, Travis and I were talking about how, and music is the same way that we, and, and maybe it just goes to our generation. Maybe we're becoming a couple of old fogies where every generation goes, oh, the music now is just not as good as what I used to listen to then. Um, but I have children in, and their friends in this Gen Z generation that also say, no, you guys' stuff is way better than what we've got now. You know, it's kind of like having M NWA versus mumble rap, you know, it's, it's, there's just the shift that happened and it feels like everything doesn't have the feeling that it used to, I guess. And a lot of people, you know, they bitched and complained about how new metal was whiny and stuff. But I feel like as long as you have teenagers, you're going to have angst and you're going to have, that's what I feel like. That's what I feel like inside. And now I feel like there's just not music like that anymore. And film happens to be the same way. I feel like everything just gets pushed out of a fucking factory for one Marvel film. You have 20 more that are just like it. And, and don't get me wrong. I am a fan of Marvel, or at least I was of that first 10 year run. But now everything is just a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And something like this, whether it's original or not, it made me feel something inside again. And any film that's going to elicit an emotional response from me, oh, hell yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to love it because I just don't feel like there's enough of that. Now there's so much mindless entertainment now that when you have something that kind of digs its haunches into you, you go, wow, okay, I didn't know that something could make me have a response again. So in those terms, I think that this story is terrific because like Travis, I kind of had like a vague notion of where it was going. You kind of, or at least I did, I can't speak for everyone else. I kind of got that feeling at the beginning. Oh, okay. Oliver. 
Oliver is obviously infatuated with Felix. Like, like in, at the risk of me getting kicked under the table here, how could you not be? You know, I showed Isabella a picture of Jacob Lordy earlier and she goes, ew. And I was like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> so um, London, you know, London just thought he was beautiful to look at even though she was gay. So you can see how he would have that obsession with him early on. But I did not, you know, you expected it to be that single white female thing of, oh, I've got to be just like you. I've got to, you know, I'm going to start dressing like you and I'm going to start talking like you and I'm going to do this and that and the other. And it just goes so far fucking left from that that you go, whoa, I did not see that coming. So to me, the story is terrific. The, to me, the characters are complex. For You know, it's Travis is sitting here and he's saying, oh, I, I don't like any of these people. I can't like any of these people. They're vapid and they're they're evil and, and all this stuff. But I can say that... <laughs> Okay, don't get don't get mad at me, Travis. Yes, on the surface, it seems like of all the characters, Felix is the most decent. And maybe he is. But at the same time, he has that savior complex thing about him where it's like, is he really your friend or is he just a project to make you feel better about yourself? Because, oh, look how rich I am. I'm going to help the poor little guy underneath me. But at the same time, you don't necessarily get that from him or he wouldn't be so hurt over certain actions that all of takes. And on the other side of that is Oliver that you think he's so evil because he's doing these certain things. But at the same time, he's so layered that uh, Travis and I were talking about this earlier that there's certain events that he couldn't have known were coming. And he gives a very raw response to them. And they're very surprising at times. And I think someone who's just inherently evil wouldn't necessarily behave the way he does in certain scenarios. So... I just, <clears throat> so so kind of to come back to that conversation that we were having earlier, my question was, had he always planned for things to go the way they did? You know, when he went to Oxford, did he already know who Felix was? Did he already know about the family? Were all these things planned in advance? Or did he get there, have developed this infatuation with Felix, and then the deeper he got, the more he wanted to sort of take over? And at what point did he snap? Yeah, I don't know. And I can't tell. But, and then you take somebody like, um, fuck. <laughs> forgetting his name. <laughs> Farley. Farley, yes. You take somebody like Farley that, because, and I will openly admit to this, first time watching it, I was like, oh my God, he is such a bitch. He's a shit. <laughs> and even Aiden was watching it and Aiden's like, what a little cunt. And I get that response, but at the same time, because at this point, I've watched this movie five times now. Um, Watching it now, I understand better where Farley is coming from and how it would have to be hard to to be in the position that he is in. Yes, he is living in this wealth, but at the end of the day, he's still an outsider too. And so there's this power struggle going on between he and Oliver because Farley is afraid of what Oliver is going to take away from him. So there, there's, a, there's a fight for, for balance there. I think my biggest issue with Farley was the complete lack of <clears throat> uh, gratitude, mm -hmm. I think. It like felt his, like entitlement. Yes, like he yeah. is part of the family, but he wasn't the part of the family that 
that had all the money. But right. they were taking care of him, paying for all his shit anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it was the entitlement and him acting like they owed it to him in some way. Mm-hmm. That's what got. If he right. had been living like that, but had expressed gratitude other than just, why won't you give me more money? That would have changed his character for me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and one character that I forgot was Venetia. She was a marginally sympathetic character, I think. Okay. Well, because when her and Oliver have their moment and she gets turned on by him or attracted to him, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's when he brings up her eating disorder and you kind of get the feeling that no one in that house pays any attention to her mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And he was the first one to notice her. Right. Or notice something about her. So. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things. And I know I'm going to have some people disagree with me here, but, um, you know, people always just assume that the wealthy don't have any problems. Well, you have all this money. What is there to be upset about? People with money, people without money, they may have different sets of problems, but they still have problems. And the problems of, of you know, the inner psyche, what it is to be human, I feel like no matter what your class or race or sexuality is, we all have those thoughts deep down that we don't share with anybody else, no matter where you come from. Mental, so, mental health issues typically ignore income brackets. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, no, that's that's true. So I don't think it's necessarily fair to villainize this family because they're wealthy just because they're wealthy. And like you were saying with Venetia, she's obviously had these problems and the parents are just, which if I'm in and, and, and anyone, any of our friends in the UK, please tell me if I'm wrong on this, right? The way they portrayed themselves was if they are have like when Americans have problems, we tend to blow them up and make mountains out of molehills where it seems like the Brits are more, let's kind of sweep this under the rug. We don't want to make, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves and life needs to carry on as normal as possible. And, and a good example of that is Felix's death and the events directly after. Um, I was always under the impression that that was the big difference between the Brits and us. And there's even a, a line where he says, nobody cares about your stupid American feelings. You know, as if there, nobody wants to sit around and talk about how they feel. So I'm, ve- I'm very curious as, as to whether or not that is actually true or not. Um, because some of the events that do happen, I would, yes, we would be calling our best friends. We would be calling our family and, oh my God, this person did this and that person did that. And I'm feeling this way about it or whatever. Whereas this family seems very intent on, we don't want anyone talking about it at all. We're just going to move on like it didn't happen. So thought that was very strange, but that again, to me, illustrates that these characters are a little bit more complex than what a lot of reviewers are giving them credit for. Well done. Well done, I say. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know about any of that. Maybe we'll get an answer. (laughs) We've asked questions like that before and nobody ever says anything. (laughs) So you'll just let us wallow in our ignorance. (laughs) Never know. Uh, so shall we move on to special effects? Uh, were there any? <laughs> so I think in, in lieu of special effects, we need to talk about the cinematography. Oh so my God. The DP was Linus Sandgren and I have never heard of Linus Sandgren before, but to you, I say, well done, sir. Well done. How many times did you say that? As many times as I want. I mean, you've already used thus four times. Thus. <laughs> Um, I'll have people know I say thus. He's actually an Oscar winner. And so I was looking through his filmography and he did uh, La La Land, Mm -hmm. which I think is another one where the visuals are a little unique. Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen Um, it. Never seen it. But he did American Hustle. Okay. So. Also never seen it. That's okay. Then that's not the movie I'm thinking about. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, he's got a pretty good filmography. And but, but goddamn, the man did work in this movie. I think the visuals in this film are probably we'll say 2023 because that's when the film came out. Probably the best ones I've seen this year in the last year. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I I can't say that they're my favorite visuals ever because there are other movies that exist out there that the cinematography is just brilliant. Lynch, Lynch, Lynch. But but still. Um, this was to me a complete feast for the eyes. It had so much interesting stuff to look at apart from just the color schemes or the the settings. There's like little blink and you'll miss it things unless you have right. somebody point out to you. So, but including uh, the camera angles, the lighting, the people who did the lighting, fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the set dressing because we were watching one of the one of these reviews and they started pointing out all the shit in the background that you didn't notice that like highlights the rot that's happening inside. The this family mm-hmm. you know they're living in this giant mansion but they've got fly strips hanging from the chandeliers i didn't notice that no. when we watched uh-uh. it mm-hmm. but it showed us still in there they are so the set dressers paid unbelievable attention mm-hmm. uh, to detail to get all that stuff in there and then it was shot in such a way that you have to really be paying attention to catch it right um, and i love those that's like watching a fucking national lampoon movie where you've got all this hilarious shit happening in the background that sometimes is funnier than what leslie nielsen's doing mm-hmm. i'm just saying so yeah I, I guess that's the thing is that in terms of a aesthetic and what's going on in the story i would say this film is pretty surreal like it definitely in the in the back in the back half has a sort of a dreamlike quality to it like there's things that you're questioning am i really seeing what i'm seeing and maybe that goes along with having an unreliable narrator through this whole thing maybe maybe things are hyped up a little bit more or downplayed a little bit more but it 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 feeds into that whole thing of it being surreal am i really seeing what i'm seeing Okay. Well, I just had a thought when you when you said unreliable narrator, and I thought unreliable. Yeah, I didn't sound like that. You did. <laughs> um, we are hearing this entire story from Oliver's point of view, right? As he tells the story. Mm-hmm. So were what were the Cattons as bad in reality, or was that just how he perceived them? I don't know. That that's what I'm saying. I I don't think people give this the the ones who were the naysayers. I don't think they're giving it the credit. Well, I think it, the naysayers, from what I could see in the in the written reviews, were focusing exclusively on about four scenes exactly like that's what they that's what they were really spending their time on and then they drew some kind of parallel between this film and others that had come before and immediately wrote it off mm-hmm. but i think it's it's deeper than that because there's i think there's a lot there there's a lot of symbolism there there's a lot of foreshadowing in there and I, and i think if you're and i'm not trying to mean this as bitchy as it sounds <clears throat> if, if you have a heart and you've ever loved someone without them knowing about it and know what that feels like that that deep scary sad unrequited love it has to hit you on a level somewhere in that where you can understand and even if it turns out that that's not necessarily how he felt about him the first half of the movie certainly puts it in that direction and so and what you were talking about needing something to grab you that's what it was for me because as a human being i know how that feels but how did you feel about the special effects in that part because that's what? what we're talking about right now. no you said in lieu of special special effects but we started we got back to talking about the critics yeah. so we're kind of we're a little all yeah, over the place yeah. here I, 
think it's fine. Which I think is you just, have an unreliable narrator for this podcast. Which I think is a testament to the story. And I realize that we decided to move on, but I think that's what's the most important thing about this film. And I think your visuals also tell a story, which was the point I was trying to make. There are <laughs> scenes in this film that would not be as impactful without the the lighting and the camera angles and the way it was shot. For instance, some of the color palette can even foreshadow what's going to happen next to a certain character. Like in one case specifically of Venetia as uh, Oliver, not Oliver, as Felix's uh, gurney is being wheeled past the window and they shut the blinds and there's just this red all over her and she's pouring this glass of wine that's been overfilling and so you see it, it looks as if it's blood running down her shirt and she's just bathed in red. Cut to her death where she's just in an, uh, this sea of red. So I Do thought... Do we just give it away? Give what away? Her, her death. I mean... I gave a spoiler warning. So <laughs> it was self-inflicted and it was in a bathtub. And so the scene in the bathroom looks very similar to the overflowing wine in the cup. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's what I mean by I feel like even your visuals can tell a story here too. You're not necessarily looking for that. But um, I think color palette is also used in evoking a mood that you're supposed to feel at a certain time like it, it's just it's just used brilliantly I yeah. think yeah and kind of along with the I don't know if it's more story or imagery but during his birthday party he's surrounded by people mm -hmm. everybody's drinking everybody's partying and he's walking through there with his little antlers on and um he's surrounded by people he's completely alone <laughs> just thinking you can put your little hat put on put your little hat on <laughs> I hate my hat. <laughs> but he's surrounded by people, but he's completely alone. Yes. And the way they shoot it, they capture that. Yes, perfectly. absolutely. There's a, there's a there's a particular shot of him sitting at the table and it's like piled up with trash and candy and cake and drinks and whatever. And he's just looking down at the table and the shot looks like it's from the perspective of somebody either at the end of the table squatting down or underneath the table. And it's just on the loneliest face of... And these people, to add insult to injury, they don't even know his fucking name when they're singing the happy birthday song. And they don't say it until they get to the part of happy birthday song where you're supposed to say his name. And the guy's and like, I don't know his name. And then they all go quiet and they're like, I don't remember his fucking name. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so sad. So I don't care at this point because the movie's almost over by the time we hit his birthday. I don't care what he has committed to this point. I still feel fucking bad for him. Well, see, it makes you wonder, was that the turning point for him? No. In the party. So. No, no, no. To get to the murdery part. At that point, everyone's still alive. But it, I don't know. I want, and that's the thing I really want to figure out. At what point during the film or during this process did he decide I'm killing all these people? Right. You know what I mean? I'm going, I, they just have to go. Mm -hmm. I'm going to kill them all and take what they have. Mm -hmm. I think originally maybe he just wanted Felix. And then at some point he, he wanted to be a part of that world. But somewhere along the way, he made the decision, I'm going to kill these people. Mm -hmm. But there's no, it's not clear cut in the film. Yeah. So I got to, I don't want to say I got to watch it again and figure it out. But it kind of bugs me that I don't know when mm -hmm. that shift happened. So, um, which can kind of, we can segue into acting <laughs> from there. Okay. Um, no bad actors in this film. No, no. There's, I'm not, I can't throw a rock at anybody's acting in this okay. film. Okay. So let, let's do things a little bit differently than we normally do. Cause what we normally do is you list all the performances and then I list all the performances. Well, let's, let's just, let's just start with Barry. Let's just, yeah. Have a little tennis match no, here. <laughs> we, need to, we, need to, we need to leave Barry for, let's do Barry last. Let's do him last. I agree. Okay. So let's start with, uh, Jacob Elordi. Okay. Elordi? I, I can't. Lordy. We'll talk about him and then we'll talk about Archie. Because I don't want to fuck that last name up again. 
I need it spelled out phonetically. That's... <laughs> oh, you're so terrible. Um, let's see. Okay, so again, having been a person who watched Euphoria before this show, um, anyone who has watched that show knows that he plays this uber jock, um, possibly closeted, but very, very homophobic. I'm, I'm the typical toxic jock. That's what he is. So to go from that character to someone who seems, I mean, yes, you can tell he's privileged and obviously, I mean, it's, it's in the first lines of the movie about the girls and everybody fawning over him. So you kind of know what you're being set up with, or at least you think you do. You think you're going to get a certain type of character. And then you start finding out that not only is he not really what he appears to be on the outside, he can be tender. He can be thoughtful. He can be that spoiled, childish person that you expect him to be. I think there are so many notes to his character that you can't necessarily peg him as one thing. I feel like his wealth and privilege manifest differently than it does with the others. He he's very much just sort of spoiled and lazy, but his in his mind, it, it's almost like none of those things put him above anyone else. So he'll still have a drink with some poor kid at the bar. Right. He's still he's still riding a bike right. on campus. Mm-hmm. Um. He's not he's not riding in a cart with somebody pulling it. You know. He's he's wearing his Tommy Hilfiger esque clothes, but he still has an eyebrow ring. Yeah. So like his it looks like he doesn't wash his hair. His seems to be <laughs> confined to he's just lazy right Mm -hmm. because and when he had the flat tire on his bike rather than just pushing the bike to his tutorial he just sat down and waited for somebody to come along to fix it now he was i don't know that he was waiting for somebody to fix it he wasn't actively trying to fix his own problem well no but i don't know that he was waiting for someone to fix it for him either no he just i don't know it's like he gave up or something instead of instead of fixing it i'm just gonna have a sit yeah and and i think that's kind of him his room his room was disgusting Mm -hmm. and the only reason he did anything about it was because barry was cleaning it up for him Oliver. But (laughs) whatever. Bolivar. (laughs) Or we'll call him Ollie. Bolly? We'll call him what anyway. That guy. He starts cleaning it up for him. And that's when when uh, Felix gets offended. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'll do it. I'll do it. And that just kind of he didn't like getting called out on his laziness. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be the limit for him. But I feel like the, I feel like Jacob pulled it off well. Yes. I feel like he played the character well. Um, he doesn't have a ton of emotional moments, but the ones he did were good. Yeah. You know, um, not really a ton of sadness necessarily, just some annoyance and anger. Yeah. Well, like I, w- I was talking about him being showing moments of tenderness. Um, the scene where he tells all Oliver about the family tradition of throwing a stone with the with the lost member's name into the river. I felt like that was an extremely tender moment between the two and not something he had to include him in, obviously, because this was a private family tradition. But he wanted to comfort him and he cared enough. And obviously to invite someone into your home after a family member has passed when he knows nothing about him still or knows just on the surface, he knows what all Oliver wants him to know. He still doesn't know this guy, but completely opens his arms to take him in and comfort him at a time. And yes, when he thinks that Oliver and Venetia have slept together, he's hurt. He's visibly hurt by it. And it it's not necessarily because he harbors any affection for him, but because that is his friend. That is, and he didn't want his friend getting, 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 he didn't want his friend getting taken away from him. Yeah, I got the impression he was almost more more mad with Venetia than he was yes. with Barry. Yes. Because Oliver. Bali. 
<clears throat> and he, yeah, I think that's where the annoyance was really coming from. Maybe he felt like, because she says later in the film uh, that uh, he, he never liked other people playing with his toys. Mm-hmm. And I think that illustrates the point very well. He was mad that she played with one of his toys. Except I think it goes a little bit further than well, that. Well, it may, because he, he, I think he did actually kind of care about Oliver on some level. No, but... not just not just that, but I think that when it's kind of like, um, oh, there was an episode of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where Cordelia was telling Buffy, like, you think that, that I don't have problems? You know, I'm surrounded by all these people, but not one of them really knows me. And I think in a way, Oliver was possibly the only one who really, on some level, knew Felix as he is and not the image that everyone else sees. Well, and Oliver just wanted to hang out with it. Everybody else was around him for what he could do for them. Mm-hmm. And I think Or Oliver, because of what he looked like. Or because of who he was. Yeah. yeah. They, they all stood to gain something from it. And while we find later that that's exactly why Oliver <laughs> was there. In the beginning, he doesn't put it off that way. Right. You don't know that. But he's like, I just wanted to be his friend. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe that, maybe Oliver coming to the table and not asking him for anything is what attracted him to Oliver in the first place. Right. So, yeah. While you think that he is one thing, I, w- I would argue that I think there's more layers to Felix, too. Well, there may be. So. Maybe. So, in that regard, yes, uh, Jacob Elordi played his part very, very well, I think. Okay. So, let's... So, so much so that... And, and maybe, don't look at me. Don't give me a look. So much so that when we lose his character, I felt that loss all of a sudden. And, and I, don't, I don't mean in terms of, oh, I'm sad he's gone. No, you could tell that his character was gone. You were, it, you were crying on the floor. No, no. What I'm saying is, is that he had such a presence there as a character that when he's gone, you feel that missing character. Right. Oh. So let's move on to Allison Oliver, who plays Venetia. And I did think it was funny that her last name was Oliver. <laughs> it is. It gave me a chuckle. If they got married, it'd be Oliver Oliver. She um, is absolutely magnetic in her performance, I think. Um, a scene for me with her that stands out is the, the spider versus moth uh, monologue that she gives. The intensity of her words and the look on her face. I mean, it's just, I, I was completely sold on what she was saying. Like, it's it's hard to describe, but I, she's not somebody I had ever seen in anything before, but every time she was on screen, I cared about what she was saying and I cared about what she was going through because she conveyed it so well just in her eyes alone that you felt for her. I think that she she pulled off being the second favorite child in the family very well. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly the parents were all about Felix. Uh, and then to another extent, Farley, because Farley's always asking for things. Right. He's the, I don't know, the underprivileged youth that we're taking the project. in. And yeah, yeah, he's he's the project they're trying to fix or whatever. And so she just got ignored. And you she you get that loneliness from her. Mm-hmm. And and she always she isolates herself. She's always going off alone. Um, and then that reaction, if you want to call it a reaction, uh, to when Barry pays attention to her and just noticed something about her. Mm-hmm. Um, now that has no bearing on what happens next. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, no, I feel like she all... does. She does portray the child that gets left out and is is desperate for any attention wherever right. she can whether get it's it. positive or negative. Yes. She just wants somebody to notice her. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. We didn't spend as much time with her as we did with Felix or Oliver. So I, I don't really have as much to talk about other right. than that. I feel like she played the role that she was given very well. She didn't have a lot of lines, but the ones that she had, she did a great job with them. Um, and yeah, I, th- I feel like she captured the emotion of that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there well. there was a weight to her that even with the, the I mean, we say it's limited time, but we 
do spend a fair time amount on her. But like you said, obviously not nearly as much as, as our two main characters. But even then, you feel the weight of what it's like to be in her place a little well, bit. Well, in the film, she's the same way that she is within that family. She's always kind of in the background. So she's there, yes. But we're spending all of our time with Felix and with Oliver and with Farley. Right. And she's in the background of the scene offering occasional commentary. Mm-hmm. But that's it. And you can see it when we lose Felix that the parents are like, what time is it? It's time for lunch. What time is it? It's time for lunch. And they run off and the only person there consoling her for the loss of her brother is Farley. He's the only one sitting there holding her, caring about how she's feeling. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Let's move on to Archie. (laughs) Or Farley. Farley. (laughs) I immediately didn't like Farley. And that's a testament to this actor. Yes. (laughs) He did a great job. His very first scene, I'm like, fuck that guy. Yes. He walks into the tutoring office and he's just immediately, I am rich and spoiled and condescending and I'm, nan nan boo boo, I'm better than you. Yeah. And I'm just, oh, he, <laughs> that guy just pissed me off. Yes. Instantly. And he never gets better. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with Farley because everything that you have said is true, but at the same time, the way he portrays that character, just, he's just the best bitch that there is. And I love his bitch please faces and the way he fucks and toys with people um you can't help but love it at the same time where you're like mm, yeah well, like, there, there's shit that he says that's funny right it's funny uh-huh. or he says it and you're like oh i can't yeah. believe he just said that or these expressions he gets yeah. on his face like like to the teacher uh once the the professor discovers who he is he's totally milking that to his advantage at oh, that point and so he has this line like shall we continue and he just does this little thing with his eyes where I'm like oh you so I can't help but love him at the same time and again he is another character that I feel like has more layers than people want him to think because yes on the surface it does look look like that I'm entitled I'm rich I'm spoiled uh, and I don't want this outsider coming in and taking all of my things but at the same (coughs) excuse me I'm so sorry but at the same time, I can't help but feel for him at the same time because he has, you have this element of him belonging to someone in this family who kind of has a bad rap now. Well, I think it was a sister or something like that. Yes. And she had gone to America and at one point it had a lot of money and blew it all. Right. And so now he was living with them because she's broke. Right. Completely broke. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a drug problem there. Yeah. Um. And again, I, I kid, he had a raw deal. I totally understand that. But again, just a little bit of gratitude from him in the film would have changed his character. For I agree. Me. I agree. But at the same time, and they they don't spend a lot of time on it in the film. And I think that was the intention of uh, Emerald Fennel was they didn't want to overtly come out and say, okay, well, let's talk about the big L, the pink elephant in the room, right? Um, but they do touch on it briefly where he's basically saying, you guys treat me like I'm one of the members of your staff. I don't necessarily necessarily think that that's true um but at the same time i feel like there is something there that nobody's talking about it's getting brushed up under the rug like everything else yeah i mean i agree and disagree because no he does not get treated like a member of the staff because he's in everything Mm -hmm. he's out there naked in the field and swimming by the pool or whatever he's doing everything that the other people are doing right but (laughs) but i can kind of see where he's getting that yes um i can 
can't imagine having to well actually yes i can imagine this because um none of us <laughs> listening or talking are anything remotely like the cattens and if you are kudos but for us can we move in with you <laughs> for us sometimes we have to be in that position of we don't want to ask for help but we don't have a choice but to ask for help and to have to do that for some of us it's it's nothing you just go and you just expect people to give and give and give and give but for others it's hard and you have to swallow your pride and you have to it's it's a hard thing to do to say hey I need help with this. Yeah, but I think in the case of his character, you know, when he and Felix are having that conversation, he was like, said something about I have to come to you with the begging bowl. Right. Okay, I I understand how from a pride standpoint, you wouldn't want to do that. But at the same time, it's not your money. Mm -hmm. This is not your house. This is not your shit. Mm -hmm. You don't have it. It's theirs. Right. Why wouldn't you, why why would you think you don't have to ask? Right. I I guess that's the thing. I mean, if I walked into the neighbor's house and just started taking food out of their fridge, that they're not going to be okay with that. Right. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I went and asked, it would probably be a different story. Mm-hmm. But so I don't. And again, I think it's that entitlement. He thinks that because he's family, even though he's not that family, that he's just entitled to all of it. And he should never have to ask for anything. He, he should just have it given to him. Well, at one point he does tell Oliver at the party, this is my house. Right. And I'm always going to come back. Except it. Which we find out. No, that's not really well, the case. <laughs> none of that was true because it's not his house. Yeah. So I don't know. I can see both sides of it, I guess. Yeah, that, that's me. And that's why I'm saying I think that the character is more complex. Yeah, yeah. So, and that just, his, his making you want to hate him one minute and his making you kind of semi-wanted to cheer for him the next or feeling sorry for him the next, that all goes into his performance. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, when he showed back up at the party towards the end of the film, I thought, okay, maybe this is his hero, like, redemption moment where he's going to come in kind of save the day. Mm-hmm. He's going to keep everybody safe from Oliver or whatever. Nah, nah, that didn't happen. Right. So again, he just came in. He was a shit. He said some shit stuff and then he's gone. Yeah. So yeah, not a one dimensional character, but still not a terribly likable character for me. So um, let's do Richard E. Grant, who plays Sir James Catton. His performance was so strange and offbeat. He was eccentric. Yes. Yes. So if that's what you're doing, if you're, if you're playing the eccentric billionaire, gazillionaire, whatever he is, he did that very well. He did. Because there was something very off about his character and something like when I was talking about surrealism earlier, to me, he fits into that a little bit um, because sometimes it seems like he's not all there. Like... Okay, I'm struggling to find the words right now, but he seems like he's just kind of teetering on the edge for a lot of it. I feel like he and Elspeth, the, the wife... Almost kind of fit into that same category. Maybe not for her, but because it doesn't... She married it. She would have married into his family. Right. Um, maybe, And you don't know what her background was prior to that. Although she, she did say that she had a, a bed sit. That's another question. What the fuck's a bed sit? I she no was a model. She did say. Um, so she, if she was a model, maybe she had money before, but not at this level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to marriage. But I think both of them, I, I think eccentric fits them well. Mm-hmm. They clearly have been so wealthy for so long. They don't live in the same reality 
reality as everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. And it shows. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the performances, and I guess we could talk about it both at the same time. Um, both of them pulled that off very well, just in different ways. Yes. Um, he is completely disconnected, I think, from just almost everything that goes yes. on around mm-hmm. him, unless they're watching a movie or something. If it's anything, if it's not, if it's not something he enjoys, he doesn't want any part of it. When Felix dies, he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to have the curtains open. He does, you know, um, everything is done discreetly. Mm-hmm. Even when he uh, ships Oliver off, we'll do it discreetly tonight. Well, Even yeah. though it happened in the middle of the day. When, but... when Oliver is introduced <sighs> to Saltburn, he goes to the front of the house and very, you know, we're, we're rolling out the red carpet, opening the gates. But when he asks him to leave the house, it's very shush-shush out the back door right. of Saltburn. Right. So anything that he considers distasteful has got to be completely minimalized. He right. doesn't want anything to do with that. Yeah. Um, 100% just concerned with the things that make him happy. Yeah. And he it's, sort of dissociates from everything else. I think I think for me, the, the scene that stood out with him probably is when they're starting to plan Oliver's party. And for most of that conversation, he's sitting there very quietly. And then all of a sudden, he'll just snap out of it like he's like like he's done buffering. Like he woke up. Yes. <laughs> like Windows startup. And he's like, I could wear fancy dress. Like it's just out of nowhere. And you're like, yeah. ah, I can wear my suit of armor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's just he it's very a very quirky performance. And yeah. I, I was very happy with it. And where I feel like Rosamund Pike's character, Elspeth, kind of follows the same line is that she has all of her needs met 100%. There's there's so little in life that she could actually want that the only thing she can really take pleasure in is the lives of others. Right. She doesn't want any part of her own, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically all she does to the entire well, film is gossip about the problems other people have. I will elaborate on that just a little bit. If you notice, um, whenever someone is being talked about, she almost always has to one-up it somehow. Or that happened to me too. Travis and I know people like this, that you could be talking about a subject. And whatever it's about, that person has to go, oh yeah, yeah, that happened to me. This happened to me. You know, and it comes out with her, I was a lesbian once. She has to interject herself there. Or whenever a song is on and she's like, oh, you know, people thought that this song was written about me or whatever. So you almost kind of get the sense that yes, as much wealth as she has and doesn't want for anything, she's still kind of washed up a little bit where this is all that there is to her identity now. So that's all she has left is to use that wealth to fix others or like you said, to gossip about other people's problems. Yeah, because she was pretty nasty about Pamela. She doesn't She doesn't have anything left for herself. There's, there's no excitement in her life. Yes. There's nothing going on. So right. she has to be in the middle of everybody else's shit. And funnily enough, I think Oliver used, can see that and he uses that to where he starts to prey upon her by telling her, you, you, you know, you're just so beautiful or whatever. Like it couldn't have been easy having you a mother because you're so beautiful. Well, I mean, he, he basically went up there and told her everything she wanted to hear. Right. And then used and you, her own paranoia and her desire to think the worst about others to instigate some distrust with Pamela. Right. And then you can see, even though on the surface, she's like, oh, you can't talk to me that way or whatever, or I'm insulted or whatever. But there's still that little glint of her eye of somebody noticed me. Oh, I thought there was about to be some fucking... I'm, I'm important. I was like, again. he's going to bang Felix's mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, again, it felt like a very big departure from that character to her character in Gone Girl, where she was just, well, she was a little bit like Oliver in that she had this whole elaborate evil plan set up and it, you watch it unfold. She was, to, to see her go from an Oliver-esque type character to being this type of character was, it was a little jarring, but again, just just goes to show how talented 
she is as an actress. Yeah, yeah no, I, I feel like she pulled it off very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the other thing that was the she had a thing with like cleanliness. She had a lot of I guess quirks. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't. She doesn't want a man to have stubble mm-hmm. because she thought it was unhygienic. Right. And, he, and uh, Felix has to take his eyebrow ring out. Right. Mm-hmm. So she does have some. There's some weirdness there, mm-hmm. and I feel like she captured those eccentricities in her performance. Right. So. But there was something that I thought was strange. She had a line where after um what's the dad's name <laughs> uh sir it's just it sir no there's more sir james <laughs> sir james Catton. james that's right as soon as his character well not as soon his first as his name was sir but when his character has passed and she runs into oliver again she has the weird line of the coast is clear now isn't it which i found very odd and i i feel like there's stuff there with her that we don't necessarily see too i feel like there's some ambiguousness well like maybe ambiguity maybe. i don't know what the fucking word is <laughs> maybe she wants to uh see barry yeah in a carnal way <laughs> yeah all right so briefly carrie mulligan she plays and she is credited as poor dear pamela <laughs> so her first name is poor <laughs> last name Pamela um, I don't know I would have liked to have seen her a little bit more in the film I, I agree she yeah. was such a weird character and mm-hmm. and uh, Carrie Mulligan pulled it off really well and I know she was in a different film because she was brought up a couple times as having done a film before and they, they said this was almost like a cameo for her right mm-hmm. I feel like I need to watch that other film as soon as I remember what it was and <laughs> I feel like um, she was trying to obtain what Oliver was but wasn't necessarily as smart as him about it because you have these dueling scenes of them trying to get her out of the house and her being like oh well you know yeah I have a place but it's not that big and it's not you know she keeps trying to perhaps I could stay a bit longer whereas on the other side of that is Oliver going no I'm not I'm not leaving I don't think I can leave right and so he's just she's doing the same thing she's just not as conniving as Oliver no no but I mean the character she plays you get the impression that she came from wealth also and like a bunch of the other ones once the money's gone they don't know what to do they can't take care of themselves right and so that's i think where that desperation comes um for her to stay that she wants to stay because she knows she'll she'll fucking die if yeah. she doesn't have somebody and taking care of her she does and she does she'll do anything for attention <laughs> that's right <laughs> And, but I mean, that's sort of the theme with all of these people, except for Oliver, is that they can't, being rich is the only thing they know how to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but I feel like hers was good. I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more of her. I agree. All right. Are we, are so, we to the man of the hour now? I don't know. I'm trying to find an extra that we can talk about. <laughs> oh my God. Let's talk about Jake. He's I mean, played by Will Gibson. I, I guess we could talk about him. Duncan for a minute. Duncan's just fucking weird. He, he's a serial killer. Clearly. I never know what his intent is through all of this. Because he kind of treats Oliver the same way in that, like, I can see what you're doing here, almost. So I took him as sort of the... um uh, Alfred. He's the Alfred, right, of the house in that it's his job to protect that family. I think he sees himself as sort of a guardian or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he sees all these people that are not family as interlopers or leeches, rather, right. which they are. Mm-hmm. And that he, so he immediately doesn't like them. If they're coming in there to be in his space, he's going to have to clean up after them. He's going to have to get their food. He's going to have to deal with these, these people mm-hmm. that are not part of the family. And he has to put up with it. And he's resentful. Right. That's that's what I took from it. Okay. All right, now. He's also fucking creepy. Let's talk about Ewan Mitchell that plays Michael Gabby. <laughs> oh Give me a God. fucking sum. 
Give me a fork and some then. I could have used more of him in this film. Everything he said he was, terrific. was funny. And I feel like he was grossly underutilized. I think they should have brought him along to Saltburn too, so he can just be screaming fuck in the background. But you know what the problem was? What? He was NFI, not, not fucking, fucking invited. invited. That's right. He was great. He, and the only reason I bring him up is because he plays such a weird character. Yeah. Clearly super intelligent, socially awkward. Uh-huh. He has no friends. And so he like grabs Oliver. He's like, you're my friend. Yeah. Immediately. Because Oliver comes across as this very timid, shy kid. So he just kind of bullies him into being friends. Right. And then at one point he's like, he said he's going to go have a slash. Does that mean he need to take a piss? I have no idea. I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> British slang. So. and he's like, I understand a lot of it, but just what I know from watching Buffy. Okay. But. <laughs> There was way more in it in this film than uh-huh. like what's a minger? Uh, I got Does the that impression that Minnie's ugly? ugly. Ugly? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. He so he gets up and he's basically I'm gonna go take a piss. And get me a pint. Uh-huh. So he's just kind of bossing all around. But he's yeah. he's great, and I would like to have seen more of him. In this One film. of my favorite things that he did was there was the scene where he and Oliver, I guess, are sitting and studying or something, and he tells him that he brought him a crispy, and I think oh, this Jesus. is where they're talking about the party yes. that they weren't invited. And then he asked Oliver if he can have his crispy if he doesn't want it. Yeah. And then he takes it and like some kind of a fucking monster, turns it horizontally and takes a bite out of it. Who takes the first <laughs> bite out of the side of a candy bar? <laughs> the same people that open up a Kit Kat and bite the whole entire thing no, instead no of breaking one does them apart. That. Nobody does that. Or cutting your sandwich in half instead of diagonally. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Demons do that stuff. <laughs> Humans don't. <laughs> yes, I could I could have had I, more of him. I didn't notice it the first time, but when we were watching it today, and I see him hold the candy bar with both hands and take a bite out of the middle, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know what? Actually, I think what would have been really cool is if he would have been Oliver Spoil. He's the guy who has been lurking this entire time because he did tell Oliver at one point, he's going to grow tired of you and throw you away like everybody else, which Oliver gets told that by a few people a couple of times. Um, I think it would have been cool if he would have been the one to kind of come in and I don't know. Kind of mess everything up for him. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Because fuck you, you ditched me at the bar and yeah. embarrassed me yeah 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 but he was do you think it was weird for him to act that scene out i don't like, know when, like when emerald said okay so when you pick up that candy bar i need you to take a bite out of the middle if he looked at her and went fuck you i'm <laughs> you not doing what? it it would not surprise me if that was his idea yeah then he's he needs therapy <laughs> That's that's wrong. Okay, I've stalled long enough. I was going to say, I'm fixing to hit you with one of Isabel's shoes here. (laughs) They're small. It won't hurt. Let's talk about Barry Kugan. All right, so I need to remind you that we're already over an hour. What arose by any other name? (laughs) I'll start because mine will be shorter. His performance was probably one of the best performances I've seen in a very long time. And the fact that he is a younger actor that doesn't have 200 films on his filmography is insane. Now, I've watched him on Hot Ones. (laughs) You say that like that's a real credit. It is a credit. But he was talking about that and he about not feeling like an actor. And when people ask him, you know, how do you do it? And he was like, well, I just don't act like an actor because actors feel like they have to do a certain thing. He's like, I just get in there and, and just do it. Mm-hmm. So it's real. It feels real mm-hmm. when he does these things, um, including getting in a bathtub. <laughs> a little too real sometimes. And I don't know. Like he for, he has a huge range of emotion. Mm-hmm. Like he's very, very, you feel bad for him at the very beginning of the film. And at the end, he's just fucking scary, um, which I need 
need to watch uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Because same. I, I think, same. I think he's just that creepy through the whole film. Mm-hmm. But I... <sighs> was a nuanced performance apparently the, i guess the guy can cry on command or something either they went through a shitload of visine because he just i don't know he didn't hold anything back yes I think, yes is what gets me so i'll try to keep it short apparently nothing was off limits for him when they filmed this he was like i'm gonna do whatever i'm just gonna go balls out <laughs> sometimes literally <laughs> and just do the fucking thing and I, he did a great job. I think he did a great job. Yeah. Okay. Your turn. My turn. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go get a drink. <laughs> Maybe you'll be done when I get back. I need a drink. Okay. I, I, I think apart from the tiny little scene that he had in at the end of Matt Reeves's Batman, this, oh my gosh, this was the film that made me go, I have to watch more of his stuff because I knew that the killing of the sacred deer existed and I knew that people were raving about his performance, but... I don't know, just for whatever reason, have not made it around to that film yet. But this film made me go, okay, I have to watch that film now. He is probably the most talented actor I've seen in recent years. I would say since Heath Ledger, for for, that's, for sure. That's fair. Um, he is absolutely so brave in his performances, in his vulnerability. Um, I don't think he necessarily cares what critics will say about what he does in his performances. I think he gives very honest and raw deliveries. There's, there's just things that he did that I don't know if I could name you five actors that would do what he did in this film apart from maybe Heath Ledger um or Leonardo DiCaprio got guys in in that film but he's not necessarily I don't think Leo would do what he did in this no film. but he has gone to some pretty extreme places in some of his films too um basketball diaries coming to mind um I I don't I don't know it I, I don't know that all the words in in Weber's could define what he put behind this performance because it was so the way she described the way Venetia described him as being a spider in in weaving his web you couldn't necessarily see it the entire time but once you're kind of privy to that's what he's doing then you do and then once you and 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 that's why i think this movie merits more than one watch because if you go back and you start seeing it from the beginning of what what his hands were all in at the time it's just remarkable and i know that that gives that's in that has to do with the writing to some degree but at the same time the way his emotions the way his is the way he calculates everything it's just there there's something going on behind his eyes all the time you're just not sure what necessarily so there's one shot and it's it's as much to the credit of the dp as it is any anyone else i guess where he's like looking out the window and felix is sort of standing behind him and they're talking um but i'm looking at his eyeballs and the way the light was hitting i was like it looks like a snake Mm -hmm. looks like if he had vertical pupils i think i remember you telling aiden that that's like boa constrictor eyes right there yeah it was just weird the way the light hit him yeah um something predatory about it yeah. The way that scene was framed. And Aiden had pointed out that, which this is, you know, <laughs> beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I'll just say that. 
But Aiden, when he first came on screen, Aiden was like, that is a weird fucking little dude right there. And I was like, you just shut your whore mouth right now. Because I feel like, I don't know if it has to do with performance or makeup or outfits or, or, or whatever, but I feel like, yes, we see a visual change to him throughout the film where he, you know, he's wearing his Oxford jacket and he looks very weird and you're like, oh, what's with that weird little guy? Well, what, what did, uh, what did Farley say? Creepy doll factory? Yeah. Um, but then you see him just kind of getting more smooth throughout the film and you can see that, that his hair's changing and his, the way he carries himself is changing to where by the time you get to certain shots of this film, you're like, that is a sexy motherfucker right there. And it doesn't have anything to do with his face changing. He looks the same the entire time. It's about that performance and the way he has changed so seamlessly throughout. And then the choices that he made to say, I'm going to do what I feel like the character is feeling in this moment. And we're going to see where that takes me to take him to a place where he's asking for a closed set and he's dropping trowel and fucking the ground, you know, because that was not in the script. That was his idea. Yeah. He said, close the set and we're going to see, we're going to let unfold whatever unfolds. So that was his idea? Yes. To dig a hole in the top of a fresh <laughs> grave and fuck it. Yes. And I just, I think it's brilliant because I don't know of a lot of actors out there that would say, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to see where as this character, I'm going to see where this takes me because he's not method. He has, he has openly said he's not a method actor. And even with those method actors that are kind of known for doing weird things in their performances, I still don't know that there's a lot of actors that would do what he did in this film. Like, by the way, you're going to have to do this, whatever, five to ten minute scene of you dancing balls out for everybody and God to see. There's naked interpretive dance in this film. Not only are you going to do that scene, we're going to make you film it 11 times. I think that was a choice by some. Someone else. <laughs> he stepped up there and decided he was going to hang dong. And, <laughs> and they were like, do it again. <laughs> uh, once more. I got, uh, fuck that. Uh, again, again. Yeah, the, the, the cover was on the camera. I didn't, <laughs> it, was, it was unplugged. You do it, can you do it again? Yeah. So. I, I didn't see that one. Can you, can you do it again? Yeah, exactly. But I, again, I just, I think that that shows his bravery as an actor and someone who ultimately has to love the craft in order to say, I'm going to put myself in this completely vulnerable position because I think the character or, would do it. Or he really likes being naked. <laughs> I'm just saying. And also, you know, the way Travis and I were talking about the story and and characters being layered and complex, I feel like he puts that out there more than any of the actors we talked about. There is so much more going on behind his eyes that I think that I, I, and I'm probably alone in this. I'm probably one of the few characters that does root for Oliver because you can see what he's going 
going through. You can, you know, even if it, his actions come from perhaps a selfish place or maybe they don't. We don't know enough about him. I love, I happen to love that his, his character is a little bit vague. I also understand the whole thing of, yes, I am comfortable, but I want more. I want everything. I get that too. And I, I, and even with that, I still cannot not like his character. Yeah, but I, again, I, you just at what point did he decide I want I want it all? Was it from the very beginning? I don't know. Oh my gosh, how many times story. are you going to bring that up? As many times as I feel like it. <laughs> Can we do it again? Um, no, his performance was. I don't know. It was crazy. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Like that's some shit you expect out of, um, uh, what's it? Patrick Bateman. A Christian Bale. Yeah. Or a, a Daniel Day Lewis type of shit. Who, actors who are method. Yeah. But that, those are the ones you expect that level of commitment out of. Yeah. So for him to and not I be a method actor. I still can't see Christian, Christian Bale fucking the ground. Can't. I can't see it. He did chase a, a sex worker down a hallway naked with a chainsaw. Only showed his ass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's still not fucking a grave. He did not do that <laughs> I, you know what i i would imagine that that mary keoghan probably now has uh the, the credit as being the only person probably to ever do that on film <laughs> So kudos. Yeah, and there's <laughs> films out there like Necromantic that exist. So <laughs> I haven't seen that one. <clears throat> Neither have I, for good reason. Um, so uh, addressing the big four elephants in the room, we're gonna. I'm going to uh, suggest that we talk about those scenes because we didn't necessarily talk about them in the story. But I know that there we probably, were around them on purpose. I know that there's people out there probably very curious as to how we felt about those scenes okay so, so let's start with the, the the first one the most obvious one oh, gonna make me relive this trauma <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the bathtub scene. Okay, so here's the deal. I was I'm watching I'm watching the movie, and uh, you know you see Felix pulling his pud there in the <laughs> in the bathtub. Well, I mean, you don't see it, but it's implied. You know what he's doing. You know what he's. You know everybody knows what he's doing. Um, and then I guess after the fact, Barry is in there, and the tub's draining, and it's like. Okay. And then he just suddenly stops and he turns and looks at the tub and you can Very hear Very longingly. <laughs> and on the first watch, my first reaction was, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> don't, no. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, it's the first time I've screamed at the TV in a long time. I, you know, it's going to make drinking your cereal milk way different. <laughs> That's, uh, I had me a nice tall glass of horchata today, and I savored every drop. <laughs> I bet you did. I think and part, I was looking at you. I think, <laughs> while I think I did the part it. that got me was when he started rimming the bathtub drain. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I threw up in my mouth a little bit. So here's the I got a thing about bath water. All right, it's had a dirty asshole in it. <laughs> And balls and and now semen apparently it's it's human I want, I it's want human to, soup. I was gonna say I want to make this very clear. Travis is not coming from this at a from a at all. That's not, <laughs> he's that's, not. That's not what does it for coming me. Coming from a place. 
place of homophobia at all. No, it's that it's obviously. disgusting. But we, in but in general rules, do not take baths in this house. We prefer showers because, and I've asked Travis about that before. Like, why don't you have her take baths? And he, you know, like when he's sick or something, and he's like, "You're just sitting in your own filth. It's you're sitting in your own soup. It's disgusting. How do you feel clean after the fact?" So the idea is you want to wash it off of you. Yes. So what you do is you get in a tub <laughs> and you soak until it all comes off. And then when you stand up, it sticks back. Yeah. So that is the place Travis is coming from. Not that I should have had to ex- explain correct. that. That is correct. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing with hot tubs. I don't understand hot tubs. No, it's too hot. And now it's human soup with multiple people in it. You're sitting in someone else's ball water. Yes. All right. It's yes. gross. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway. Your dirty butt crack has been sitting in yes. there. And now you're slurping it your, up. Your, your unwiped ass has been in that water. <laughs> <laughs> and I want no part of it. Um, how did you feel about that scene? Let's move on. I'm feeling a little awkward now. Get, get the spotlight off. So of me. for me, Travis and I, I'm okay. I think we have established this probably since we covered Hellraiser. Um, I am a twisted individual by all accounts. So my reaction to this scene was, oh, 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 okay. Oh, oh. Choices were made. <laughs> it was not, ah, no, I don't want to see it. I was just like, wow, okay. He, yeah, he did. He did that thing. Sure. Think, okay. Think about how sweaty Felix was all day long. And like then, they zoomed in on his sweat. All that bath water was so salty. <laughs> <laughs> and then some. I'm sorry. Something about him quote rimming the drain was kind of hot. So I'm not going to do that for you. <laughs> I don't expect you to. I was merely trying I've to illustrate to your, that we had two different reactions. I have to had this. to pull your hair out of our shower drain. I'm not doing it. <laughs> oh my god! That's some shit only married people know. Yep. <laughs> All right, can we move on to the next one? Yes. The next uncomfortable thing? (laughs) The next uncomfortable thing for you is the vampire scene. Do you remember? Okay, it was a typo negative song and somebody was trying to tell us that that's what the song was about. No. Yeah. I don't remember what song that is. Uh, um, We'll talk about it off mic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't want to name the person. So (laughs) I'm not going to kink shame anyone at all because I have heard other people talk about that is something that legitimately doesn't bother them. Um, It's yes, it's a bodily fluid. Yes, it's blood kind of gross. But so I understand that side of it. But I also understand that there are people that it legitimately doesn't doesn't bother. Right. People have hot love and relations while women are on their periods all the time. It doesn't bother them um men, there are still men out there that think periods in general are just gross and for those guys i usually go grow the fuck up because i'm sure your mother wished that you were just period too but look here we go here you are here you are <laughs> so writing reviews honestly. <laughs> So it is not a scene that bothered me. And I don't think it bothered Travis nearly as bad either. So it didn't bother me. It was just, it's just kind of gross. Yeah. Because again, this is like after you've been married for this long, there's not just blood down there. There's like some tissue and blood clots and stuff also. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not a hundred percent plasma. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's other things going on down there. Um, And honestly, if they had just plowed, I would have been okay. Right. Like that's yeah. All right. Whatever. Sometimes you do what you got to do. Uh-huh. But, but it was the heat of the moment. But the fact that he went down there, and it's not even. So, I don't even. 
I, I love watching. You know, Xena is living for this right now. I'm sure she can see you squirming. I'm so glad I'm not on video. <laughs> um, so, you know, like when Felix is walking to the house, he's like, I accidentally fingering my cousin right there. Um, so the fact that he decided to do that and then stick his fingers in her mouth and she was not at all bothered by this. Uh-huh. And then they tried to eat each other's faces. I don't know. That whole scene was just a little uncomfortable. But again, uh- if it had just been like, she's like, I'm on my period. And he was like, I don't care. And they had just banked. Okay. Yeah. It's, they kind of, he, yeah, he just went straight for oral. And yeah. And, and again, to me, it was kind of hot. So in particular, the scene where he's sinking into the bathtub water and he's got that Joker's smile around his face and his, the corner of his mouth lift just a little bit where there's the faintest smile there it's so hot i can't help it <laughs> travis is just powered down <laughs> uh, i'm thinking about a meatloaf song <laughs> i'll do anything for love but i won't do that okay uh what's the third one <laughs> so the third one is uh is it the grave scene? the grave the grave yes <laughs> so what's number four? Oh yeah number four we kind of talked about yes we did <laughs> so the grave scene has anybody ever been to the beach? Right? <laughs> and you, maybe you don't have a towel, but you sit down anyway. And then there's grit goes places. Are you fixing to go Anakin Skywalker? <laughs> it's, it's, yes. It's coarse. It's harsh. It's irritating. You ever had sand in your crack? It gets everywhere. <laughs> well, now he's got it in his foreskin. <laughs> I just know that he has foreskin. He uh, doesn't have foreskin. We saw that. <laughs> I didn't look at it that close. I'm just saying that he got dirt in places that you shouldn't have that much dirt. It just seemed really uncomfortable. I, I, I don't, it was just weird. Like it was, if that's your thing, then do your thing. I mean, he doesn't, it was just fucking weird. Okay. So for me, this is not the scene where I'm going to say. And what if there were rocks in there? <laughs> I'm not going to say that this one was hot like I found the other two. I'm going to say I found that scene very sad because you you go back and forth, you know, I loved him, I hated him, I loved him, I hated him, and you never really know which one it was, or at least I don't feel like you do. Um, I When he's, um, because you forget, everybody's just, oh my God, he's fucking the grave. But he's sobbing while he's doing it. And so for me, that makes it a really sad scene that the shot of him kneeling down and grabbing a hold of the cross and hugging it, that whole thing is just really sad to me. And whether or not he wanted to take this family down, I do happen to think that there was a part of him that did love Felix on some level. And so not only has he lost this person that he was possibly in love with, he also just lost his best friend. So there is something sad about it. So that that kind of we had talked about that earlier too. So at the scene where he gives, and you don't find out that he poisoned the bottle that he handed Felix. But I mean, you find out later. Right. But then he goes off to puke and he's crying mm-hmm. when he walks away from Felix at, when this, at the statue before before he dies, immediately before he dies. And he's crying. And you, I wonder, is he crying because he, and, and sick because he, he's hung up? Well, he's obviously sick because he drank some of it and he needed to get rid of it. But is he crying because he's sad that he's killing his friend? Is he crying for show? Why, what is that emotion? Is he crying because he didn't want to, but like it's sort of setting in, I just killed, I'm, I'm killing him mm-hmm. right now. I'm mm-hmm. killing this guy. Um, but then that scene the graveside scene or the grave scene later makes you think yeah he really did care about him on some level but 
if that's the case, why did he go through with it? Yeah, I don't I guess know. That, that's what I understand. Like, why did he? Why did he push forward with it? Because he felt like he had to. I mean, did he feel like he was locked in at that point? Yeah. Because at that point, he had been found out that he'd been lying about the whole thing. Right. So, and Felix was basically cutting him off. So, uh, did he feel like he had to? I don't, I don't know. And Farley was pretty well on to him at that point too. Right. Right. But I mean, he didn't necessarily have to get rid of Felix. He could have just gotten rid of Farley. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if he'd have gotten rid of Venetia, him and Felix probably could have just hung out there. I don't. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if he could have mended that yeah. after the fact, all the lying that he had done. But yeah. it was weird. So yeah, I, I agree that there's a really strong emotion that he captures during that scene. I just don't know. I don't think I would have done that. <laughs> I just, no, no, probably wouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah. So we're, number last one? Number last one. And I, I, I think you're right. I think we pretty well already covered that. But I will say... If I ever had a house that big, I would do that. I would say that after everything he his character went through in the film, I feel like there's something very cathartic about that dance at the end. Oh, that's an I win dance. Yeah. He's doing the dance of joy. <laughs> and... Yeah, naked interpretive dance. That's what he's doing. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I get it. There, there's full, there is full frontal male nudity in that. And maybe that's just what offends people, I guess. I, I, I've never understood how, why some guys get so offended about that. I mean, I'm not, you know, you don't stand in a urinal and compare with the guy next to you. That's not what you do. That's weird. But <laughs> like you see another guy on, on TV or in a movie like this, and there are some guys that just get so offended by it. Like, dude, you have one. <laughs> like, yeah. Why? Why is this bothering you so much? Because they have that thing, well, by me watching this movie and then saying I enjoying it, I enjoying it, I enjoyed it. That must mean I'm gay. No. No. No, doesn't no. mean you're gay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like most women, if they see another woman's boobs, they, it doesn't offend them. It's like, well, yeah, I have those too. Well, they're, some they're, women do get some offended. Some women do. But I'm just saying that guys, there's a lot of guys out there that it's like, yeah, they think that. They think it's going to change their sexuality if they see it. Yeah. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. It's not the kind of show. I would totally dance naked in the house if I suddenly inherited a castle. Oh, hell yeah. Hell um, yeah. But you got to wonder, where was Duncan? Was Duncan the one holding the camera? <laughs> Were they finally alone? <laughs> Did he immediately know. get rid of Duncan? I don't know. They they never say. Because he, before he go, when she meets him in the coffee shop and she's like, you have to come to Saltburn. And he asks, is Duncan still there? And mm-hmm. he clearly is. But if Duncan was still there at the scene where he kills uh, Elspeth, wouldn't Duncan have been in the room since he's like the main guy? So where did Duncan go? Mm-hmm. Or when he got control of Saltburn, did he immediately fire everybody? I don't know. Right. That's, it's it's weird. Yeah. I like to believe that Duncan was the one holding the, holding the camera while he was dancing <laughs> naked through the house. But no, I just, yeah, there's something about the scene, like, I feel like with A24 in particular and a few others, we've had a lot of good for her movies that have come out in recent years. This was, I felt like the first good for him film that came out and I was here for it. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was so damn happy for him at the end of that movie. Do I hate that Felix died? Yes. I was going to (laughs) say, you're giving him the good for him. Like, good for you. You murdered an entire family and (laughs) took their home. Good for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you are one of those people that's interpreting this as an eat the rich story, then yes, you root for Oliver. 
If but Oliver, not, Oliver was never the poor. No, but he a was lot just of the people, not as rich. A lot of people are saying that that's what this film is, is an, another eat the rich film. I don't necessarily see it as that. I don't I really guess. agree with that assessment. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I, w- I was happy with those. So having said all that, before we go into quote kill and scene, I have to give a shout out to Uncomfortable Funny. Uh-oh. <laughs> Oh, this was yeah. not intended to be funny. I, I, I'm sure it wasn't. I know that the, this movie is also described as a black comedy. And I will say there are a lot of humorous parts in it without trying to necessarily be like the scene of um, Oliver dropping the rock. It's supposed to land in the river and it lands in trash and vomit or whatever instead. And he's like, well, that can't be good. I love that. It's so fucking hilarious. But the one that gets me that probably shouldn't get me is the scene at the table when they're wheeling off Oliver's body past the window and dad is so desperate to keep this normal that he tells everybody to well what's going on is um let's see Oliver and Farley are arguing amongst themselves about um who deserves to be there and who doesn't whatever and <laughs> Farley has a thing why are you still here or whatever and they break it out to an argument and dad's like enough screaming it's it's wonderful and he tells him to eat his pie and Farley goes lunch is cold <laughs> like that's the worst thing that could have possibly happened it's cold cold shepherd's pie know why if it's his delivery of it or if it's how uncomfortable the scene is but something about his line delivery there just takes me fucking out of it and cracks me up every single time so that's not where i thought you were going with that i thought you were going to play the audio from where you recorded aiden's reaction to the bathtub scene no 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 (laughs) no we will save that for last Uh, or the beginning or we'll edit it into the beginning of the episode no we're not we'll just play it at the end it'll be fine so anyway just had to give that one a shout out right quick so quote oh score oh shit we forgot about the score 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 um i i don't feel like we have to talk about this one too long i will say that the and some nerds i'm not meaning to call you nerd i'm just i'm just kidding honestly um some people out there will know what that song is that's playing at the very beginning of long live the king or whatever Zadok the priest yeah nerd nerd <laughs> I love that they put Oliver's name in there because I didn't notice that the first couple of times I watched it. If I remember correctly, that's what they play when they crown a new king or queen. Yes. And so knowing what the film is now, knowing where it ends up, it's brilliant. I love that song there. It's it's so fantastic. It's like you're you're foreshadowing the entire movie before you've even watched a single scene. It's terrific. Um, Obviously, Murder on the Dance Floor is a fucking way to... Perfect way to end the film. Especially since he just murdered a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. What else is there? Rent the Pay My Rent song. Boys. Yeah. Also very good. So other than that, I mean, you know, and then there's the killers in there. there there's a lot of good music throughout the film. Well, it's Mr. Brightside. Yeah. <clears throat> which so, is, yeah. And going, if you listen to the song and you know the context of that song, it is actually, even though they only sing like a second of it in the film, it's actually pretty fitting too. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like, I like all the music. There was, there was music in this film and I, I heard it. Um, yeah, yeah. Even enough to remember the the opening. Yeah. But that's mostly just because I heard someone else talk about it. So 
I feel like all the all the music in the film was purposefully chosen. Yes. To fit the scene or to foreshadow. It, it the music played a part. Yes. Now, having said that, if you don't know the song they're playing, it won't make any fucking sense to you at all. Um like if you don't know what Mr. Brightside's about, not gonna mean a damn thing. You're just gonna be like, What was that song they were singing? Um Rent, I feel like is pretty self explanatory, uh, because it's on a karaoke machine and you get to see the you get right. to see the mm-hmm. lyrics. Um Zadok the Priest, you would have to know what that is and when it is traditionally played for it to make sense in that moment mm-hmm. uh you know that he's about to be crowned king literally mm-hmm. so uh, but yeah i appreciate that i like it when when they pay attention to the score and the music is chosen mm-hmm. deliberately to fit or foreshadow or to to be sort of its own character within a film yeah so agree. all right let's move on this is getting really long <laughs> quote killing scene yeah before people fall asleep uh quote is when they're standing on the bridge i need to pull mine up <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I need to pull my quote up. Yeah. Is when they're standing on the bridge and he throws the rock and it lands on the ledge and he says, well, that can't be good. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's perfect. It's perfect. As far as kill goes, I don't have one. I don't know that I have a kill. Um, if I was going to pick something, I would have to pick Venetia, but it's got nothing to do with the kill itself. It's the performance from both of them leading up to it. Mm-hmm. So because I feel like her performance is really strong and that's the most you get out of her in the entire film is that performance. Right. Um, and, and I get it. She's kind of having a drunk rant at him in that moment, but yeah, probably the best you get, the most time you get to spend with her in a, in a dialogue driven scene that she's the one delivering the dialogue. Right. Um, and then the imagery afterward is... It was very strong. It's rough. It, it's kind of hard to watch, um, but very striking, I guess. I will at the say same time, her so. death and Felix's death, both for obvious reasons, were tough scenes to watch. Yeah. So there's that. Um, as far as scene goes, I don't, I can't, I can't pick a scene. Really? I can't pick a scene. Wow. Yeah. It's just, they're all, they're all really good. Cause again, for me in this film, a lot of it's based on the visuals. And I feel like there's so many really strong visuals there mm-hmm. that it would be hard for me to pick just one scene over another one. I kind of like that montage that they play sort of in the middle um, or they're playing was it Time of Our Lives mm-hmm. and uh, because it just sort of you, you find out about who these rich kids are yeah basically it looks like an Abercrombie and, and Fitch ad it really does <laughs> That, and I'm a huge fan of montages, so... Yes. And if you play some music over it that is relevant to what's happening on screen, then I'm in. So I'll just pick that one. Okay. Feels like an easy out, but that's the one I'm going to take. Okay. Your turn. Quote, probably an obvious choice from Oliver. I wasn't in love with him. I know everyone thought I was, but I wasn't. I loved him. I loved him. I loved him. By God, I loved him. But sometimes I hated him. I hated him. Yeah, I hated him. I hated all of you. It's so perfect. That's so perfect. That almost describes the viewer's opinion of him in the film. Yes. I would say it It, it, it tells, it's so telling of the entire film, almost. So. Oh, did that just blow your mind? <laughs> Anyway, uh, Kill, I'm going to go with Elspeth's for the same reason, sort of. I love, because you do have a moment there, and I'm sure Travis can agree with me on this. You had a moment there where he mounts her body, and you think, oh shit, where's this headed? Thought he was about to be rapey. <laughs> That's what I thought he was about um, to do. Um, but no, he just, he goes in for that, I'm going to tell you every horrible fucking thing I've done and how I did it. And as an audience member, I typically don't like for somebody to hold my hand 
all saw style and go, this is when we did this. And this was the exact moment we did this. I don't typically like it, but in the context of this film, I thought it, w it was perfect. But a lot of those, you just get shots. He doesn't right. specifically describe how it was done. Right. If they'd given more detail, yeah, that would have ruined a bunch. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was good because then I am going, oh shit, that, that is a thing I didn't, like, I didn't think the, it was set up as soon as the fucking bike flat tire thing happened. So that was really cool. Um, scene. I think I'm actually going to go with the grave scene, in all honesty. Um, not because of the act being performed, but because it is such an emotional scene and a very, very tense scene. And it, like I said, very sad. So I, for me, I felt like it was the most emotional scene out of the film. If I was going to have a runner up, it would be the spider versus moth scene with Venetia. Yeah. Because that it's another one that was very, very intense. Well, and she tells him, you're going to eat us all up up aren't you or you ate him all up yeah the thing is he'd eaten both of you up <laughs> already it Jesus. had already happened you just... anyway <laughs> so marry fuck or kill travis i'll let you start oh my god um <laughs> uh, i'm not gonna marry this I can't. I can't do that. Um, I can't kill it either because I feel like the performances in it are really strong, despite what the critics say. Um, speaking of which, I didn't. I didn't cover that. This thing's got like a, a seventy-one percent on IMDb, which honestly, with the strength of the performances in this film, I thought it would be higher mm -hmm. until I started reading some of the negative reviews mm -hmm. by the Land of the Offended. And yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense. But everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and your opinions are are fine, and they're just so. The score did not surprise me because it does seem to be very device yeah yeah so since i'm i don't want to marry it because nobody wants to be chained to this thing for the rest of their life i do and i can't kill it i guess i'm just gonna have to dig a hole <laughs> in the mud and fuck it um Having said that, this is not one I could watch. Like, there, there. If I was gonna watch it again, there needs to be some space between it. And I know I've talked about this before. There's some movies like The Witch. Does that, that go into like, final thoughts? Yeah, that it's really good. <laughs> but I'm just explaining why, you know. Okay. Um, because I just, I, it's not one you can watch it and then watch it again in, in a couple of weeks. For me, I need some, I need some time between booty calls. <laughs> so. What do you think? I know what you think. You know what I think, because I told you. Um, this is the elusive rating that I rarely ever give. It's not even a rating. You made it up. I did, because sometimes there's something that goes beyond married. That means I'm giving this film the unicorn status, because it is not very often that I watch a film and go, this is a film that elicited something in me so strong that I'm in terms of marrying, meaning I can have this on regular rotation all the time like Travis I have to have space between watches even though I have watched it five times now I still have to have space between it because I love this film so much that I don't want to watch it repeatedly and have that ruined for me so I'm going to give it unicorn that I'm only going to pull it out on special occasions it's like busting out the good china in other words so yes this is a that's, unicorn that's film not what I, it's not what I was me. thinking but okay what were you thinking something else you only take out on special occasions um so final thoughts final thoughts is this a film you can suggest to somebody I, I will suggest this film to everyone and i will do it out of spite i'll suggest this film to people i know are gonna hate it especially the bathtub part like this is this is it could be a wonderful prank to pull on someone that's so mean but they yeah that is <laughs> and i don't care 
Uh, I would recommend it to people, but so despite what I just said, I feel like you need to be very careful with who you recommend this to. Yes. Yes. Because uh, it's definitely not going to be a film for everyone. If it's somebody that's pretty open-minded, um, like if they like Hellraiser, <laughs> they they can watch this film probably and be okay. Uh, but if like the scariest thing they've ever seen is the first Halloween, probably not. So This isn't a scary movie. I know it's not a scary movie. I'm just talking about Threshold. Thresh- I'm talking about Threshold gotcha. for the things that you're going to see on screen. If they can sit through Hellraiser, they can sit through this. If they can't see Michael Myers get stabbed in the eye with a coat hanger, they can't handle it. You're not ready for this, son. <laughs> and, and they just need to not. Okay. What do you think? Um, I will... You and I actually had this conversation in the car earlier because there are some people in my uh, inner circle that I don't feel are going to appreciate this movie as much as I did. Um, they like a certain niche of film. And so I will say that this movie is not for everyone, especially people with delicate sensibilities because um, let's face it, at the end of the day, there's a lot of homoeroticism throughout this film. There's a lot of taboo subjects. There's a lot of things that you kind of wish you hadn't committed to your eyeballs. But I feel like there are people who love film and there are people who like watching movies. And uh, I'm not trying to make that sound as pretentious as it just came out. But when Bill was telling me that I needed to watch this film, I knew it came from a place of our shared love of film and filmmaking and not, dude, you just got to watch this because it's so fucked up. No, he knew that this was something that I would appreciate. So I don't think that you can just casually suggest it to everyone because inevitably you're going to have that person that goes, what the fuck did you just make me watch? Well, because that's a lot of people would watch this and they would assume that the, they would zoom in on those four scenes. Right. And and think that it's it's just for the shock value. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, you know, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe those four scenes are. But I feel like the strength of everything outside of those four scenes still makes it a good, credible yes. movie. Yes. Yeah. I've heard people say, that it's boring and I'm like what movie were you watching yeah. there's way more to it than the crap that they've chosen to focus on yeah so I agree. So again, it, like Travis said, it's not for everybody, but I feel like if you <laughs> if you have a strong strong will and you can appreciate things outside of just what's going on and outside of people's pants, <laughs> then then you I feel like a lot of people would appreciate yeah. it. So yeah, and she was she was saying a lot, and she you know addressed the deal with Farley. Sort of, I read I did read a, read a review that they were doing a disservice uh, to the gay community with this film. I didn't really take it that way. Did you? Um, because it's I, I, kind I, of being semi in the community. I I wasn't offended because I understand because they well they focused the entire review on. Um, I say semi in the community. I'm in the community, and no, Oliver. I was I was not offended. They focused the entire their entire thing on Oliver, but Farley was there too, and also part of that community. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I think they were trying to make this film about something that it's not about. This I, is about a specific situation with a specific group of people. It's not trying to give a message about an entire group right i I think people will look for things to be offended in no matter yeah so yeah, they, you can't please everyone. Like I get it. You want to, you want to dig deep into things and find the hidden meaning, but sometimes the meaning exists within the bubble of the film. They're not trying to go beyond that to make a social statement. So, okay. That's my opinion. All right. Next so, week. Next week. So next week we are going to change gears once again and lean more into the comedy horror realm. I don't even know if you'd call it a horror film, but I don't give a shit. If it involves vampires, it is a horror film. Next week, we're going to talk the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With Paul Rubens. 
Pee-wee himself. <laughs> I can't wait. I think that's going to be fun. I've been binging both the original series and Angel over the last couple of months. I Yeah, it's going to be fun to revisit it. So I haven't seen that movie in forever. Yeah. It's been a really long time. Yeah, really, really fun. And you know what? You're going to put it on and I'm going to go, I miss Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> that's entirely fair. <laughs> there's no Cordelia in this one. How can I survive if there's no Cordelia in it? Oh, Cordelia. <laughs> I wrote that song. <laughs> anyway, before we turn you completely loose, for your listening pleasure, we would like to present to you Aiden's reaction to the bathtub scene and scene. <laughs> and after that, he said, I need an adult. <laughs> next week i've i'm ashley <laughs> i'm traumatized i'm travis take care guys bye